Hello, and welcome to episode 63 of the Casual Tryhard Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm James. And again, we are doing this uh, remotely through the powers of Discord and the internet. Yeah, and we're old people, so it's tough. It is. It is. Apparently, the order you turn the programs on matters. For some reason, you'd think they'd just work. Yeah, they, they don't. Someone's <laughs> going to be like, here's what you're doing wrong. And I'm going to be like, I'm old. Oh, I'm sure we're doing it all wrong, but that's all right. So if you would like to uh, tell us how wrong we're doing it, you can get at us at Casual Tripod on Twitter. Yep, you can find us on Facebook at Casual Tryhard MTG. If you want to drop us an email, you can do that at show at casualtryhardmtg.com. I'd like to take a second here and remind you that we have a Patreon account up and running. The tiers are a little wonky, so bear with us while we figure that out, as well as figuring out our lives in this strange time. Uh, but you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg. And we also have a TCG affiliate link. If there's anything you're looking to pick up, if you don't want to go out in public, you can do that at tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. Just a little quick aside, speaking of you know not going out in public and picking things up over the internet. So I'd like to take a second to remind everybody that if you enjoy spending time at your local game store or think you might enjoy spending time at a local game store at some point ever this period in time where everybody is social distancing you know keeping away from everybody that is incredibly hard on your lgs most games sealed magic product whatever um, has very tight margins and when you factor in you know cost of employees cost of rent blah 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 a lot of stores have a hard time staying afloat in good times. So it's really important that you do keep that in mind and maybe head down there, pick up a board game if you can afford it. I know you had mentioned a couple days ago or whatever, you stepped into our game store and bought some store credit. Yeah, I just um, gave that's something a, you can do. some money. So it's like, hey, here's money. I will spend it later. But you have yeah. it now to pay, pay bills if you're in a situation where you can do that. Yeah, it helps them out a lot. Even if you're not in a position to financially so try and support your game store at this time just stopping in and letting them know what it means to you to have you know a store in your area means a lot also especially when you know an lgs owner is used to having 20 people in his store hanging out having a good time like at all times and then all of a sudden the store is barren desolate not a person in sight that can wreak a lot of havoc on somebody's mental state so just keep that in mind if you like hanging out at your local game store make sure you let them know that try and support them if possible because i have a feeling a lot of local game stores probably aren't going to survive this especially if it stretches on you know another yeah. month or two or however long and this kind of goes for you know other businesses if you can like we have a friend tom who runs a barbershop yeah and so i was like i messaged him the other day i was like do you do gift cards or can I buy some haircuts in advance mm -hmm. just to give you some money now? And he's yeah. like, well, hopefully we can open back up on this date. But if not, I might like take you up on it and have you come down and like buy a couple haircuts. Yeah. Just as a way for all those small businesses that, you know, to just like mm -hmm. give them some money now to make yeah. up for the fact that they're not getting any money. Right. Yeah. It's, it's tough, man. There's, the world's going to be in a rough spot for a while. So if you can, please support your neighbors, support your friends, any, anybody you normally do business with, um, especially the smaller companies. They're really going to be under the squeeze coming up. Uh, next up is uh, show ideas. Yeah. 
I kind of had an interesting idea. If anybody else thinks it's interesting, please let me know. Otherwise, I'm just going to scrap it because if nobody wants to hear about it, I'm not going to waste a whole bunch of time on it. But uh, I kind of like doing that the finance quickie that we did for upcoming rotation, and we'll get back to that in a second. But I thought it might be a neat idea to like take a snapshot of the market, like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 cards every week or whatever that might be decent specs for when the market turns around, like things that are criminally undervalued right now. I know I was putting some cards, you know, sorting cards, putting cards in my online inventory over the weekend. And I saw that like collective brutality from mystery boosters is like six bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah. That card wasn't $6 when it was in standard and it hasn't been cheaper than that since then. It was like $20 $20, a month ago. Yeah. So if anybody's interested in that kind of stuff, you know, cards that maybe you can pick up on the cheap now, preferably through our TCG uh, affiliate link. Or your um, local game store. Or your local game store. You know, that you might want to get while they're cheap before they go back up or, you know, pick some copies up to, spy- or to speculate on. Let us know. I think that that might be kind of cool. And if anybody else is interested, I'll put some time into it. I mean, I, I might go buy four collective brutalities because I've, I've needed a fourth one for a while. I have like two non-foils and a foil. Yeah. Like, I, I need a few more. Yeah, it's a good time to pick them up. Um, like, mystery boosters in particular. Like, a lot of that stuff, you know, obviously... Uh, some of the staples that were reprinted in mystery boosters, obviously the price is going to go down because there was a reprint and there's, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's quite a bit of that product being opened, but some of those cards I think tanked artificially because of the timing of the release of mystery boosters. I think that like a whole bunch of product got open that first weekend and drove the prices down. People tried to get off of some of the cards and then because of you know, social distancing, nobody's playing paper magic anywhere. I think a lot of those cards got hit a lot harder than they normally would have. Yeah. And that, that's why you're seeing things like $6 collective brutalities. So just as a similar anecdote. So Channel Fireball is doing their buy list thing and they're giving mm-hmm. extra store credit and like all these giveaways. So you do a buy list. So I was like, I want to do a buy list. So I've been a little, a little busy with uh, the world. And so yeah. today I had some time that I could work on the buy list mm-hmm. and there were a bunch of cards that I thought for sure they'd be buying that they're yeah. not because they're just not even interested in. Yeah. Uh, Cavalier of Thorns. Yeah. Was not on their buy list. Didn't want it. Wow. wow. Cavalier of Gales. Same thing. Foil Dream Trawler. Yeah. No, not even on Dream Trawler. Not even on their, uh, on their site for the buy list. Yeah, so, when you uh, you sent me a message like earlier in the day, and I meant to get back to you, and I was a little tied up at work today. But um, how much of that do you think is that they're standard cards, and like with the exception of Dream Trawler, like they're going to rotate this fall, and maybe like won't we won't get to see any paper standard before rotation potentially? I think that is a lot of it. Like I'm going to look to try to find a place to move these. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that a lot of it is that these cards are rotating, and so they're not going to have the highest value anyway. But yeah. the fact that they've canceled all the Magic Fests till May, yeah, and CFB is not even sending cards out right now. Right. If you put in an order, they're not going to fill it at least for two weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it might just be that there's no market at all mm-hmm. for these cards yeah 
So just pointing out that, like, you know, the lack of paper magic is kind of really impacting prices on things right now. Absolutely. So. And, like, one other thing that I want to talk about where we're talking about some, you know, financy stuff is Alpha Investments, Rudy, um, he made a quick video it was either late Saturday night or yesterday about sealed product. And he was talking about like sealed product from like the last two years. So like recent stuff and how like typically during a recession, like sets get under underprinted. And then once the economy bounces back, like the stuff that was underprinted becomes valuable because it was underprinted. There's just not as much of it out there. Um, so that kind of got me thinking about mystery boosters as a product and i had liked them as a spec target for sitting on some sealed stuff anyway but if they released right you know when they did and then we don't have paper magic for a, like what do you think in after that you know people if the economy is not great aren't going to have a whole bunch of disposable income what have you like what's that do to mystery boosters as a product like is that something wizards might you know put the axe on early where normally it would have been really successful but because you know people aren't buying it people aren't playing paper magic does that you know shorten the lifespan of what would have ordinarily been a great product i mean it could but it seems like it was so successful like at like the convention at you know magic mm -hmm. fest and it just mm -hmm. seems like that is a, a thing that could just kind of like hang out for the foreseeable future. And I'm sure yeah, there's tons of convention booster packs that aren't getting opened. Like that's going to the like when uh, Magic Fest come back, they're going to have four months or two months of convention booster packs that they're just not going to open. They're, they're, they're going to have to get through. So um, yeah, I don't know that that's as big a deal though, because they were they were running out of convention booster packs. Like I, I had seen reports of judges, like when you sign up for your mystery booster draft at a Magic Fest, judges would open the packs there so that people weren't like sign and dropping because there weren't enough packs to go around. And like towards the end, before all this started, um, you couldn't get mystery boosters as prize packs anymore. They just they didn't have enough to go around. They were selling out at every event. So I don't know if you're going to get to the point where there's just a whole bunch of it sitting around. Like but I mean, if there's sure the a month, if paid. there's two months of no Magic Fest, right? Yeah. Like I'm assuming they allotted a certain number for each Magic Fest. Yeah. So even if they were going to be like, okay, we're going to be done with these in June, mm -hmm. well, they're going to have two yeah. months of extra stock. That yeah, that's true. Work through. So, and uh, so last week. Mm -hmm. Mystery Booster Retail Edition mm -hmm. was $159 was the TCG price. Yeah. This week, $168. Wow. So they've gone up 9 to $10 since we last checked them. For a sealed box. For a sealed box of Mystery Boosters. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I just kind of thought that, you know, that might be an interesting thing to think about. Like if you're planning on sitting on, you know, a box or two of this. I think the mystery boosters in general have a higher value sealed than they would normally because like a lot of the value in a box of mystery boosters is the experience, like the experience of drafting it. And, you know, you, you can't uncrack a box as they say, like once you've opened it and drafted it, it's, it's opened, it's been drafted. You can't, it's really hard to do that again. Yeah. And you certainly can't sell it that way. 
So I think that like these boxes, you know, once they get out of print or out of circulation or whatever, are going to, you know, pick up steam pretty quickly. They're going to get expensive. And I just wasn't sure how, you know, the whole Corona thing would affect that. You know, if, if sales are down and they've got to, you know, figure out what products to cut, I think it's pretty, pretty easy to cut, you know, a set that doesn't fit into normal formats. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, it's already been released. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know if they're willing to, you know, say, oh, we're not going to release the fill in the blank set we've like talked about because of this, right? They might just cut back on other sets that are already in the market so that they can move those. Cause you know, there's a warehouse somewhere that's full of, you know, commander decks for Ikoria. Yeah. That they are going to put out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're not going to not release them. Yeah. So if it comes to a point of, we're going to do another print run of this thing, or we're going to hope people have money to buy this thing we've already printed. Yeah. There might err on the side of, we're just going to make sure people are going to spend the money on the thing we've already printed. Yep. I agree. So from uh, the intersection of Corona and magic to just a little (laughs) Corona in our life update. So yeah, I have been recording lectures. Uh, I am eight lectures deep. My students have uh, gotten recorded. I have, after today, nine more to do. And that'll, that'll get you through the end of the semester? That'll get me through the end of the semester. Uh, my le- my recorded lectures usually go a little long, so I might not have as, uh, enough content to make it to yeah. the end of the semester. We'll see. <laughs> They'll get all the stuff, but it might be, you know, a couple hour long lectures eat up a lecture. And yeah. no one asks questions, so, so I just go. Kind of like our show, right? It always ends up a little longer it than you expect. It always ends up longer than you expect. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, there's right now, uh, I'm at Coastal Carolina. They just mm-hmm. sent out an email saying that all the Maymester classes should be online now. So okay. they are not expecting to have in-person classes at least through May. And okay. there's talk about not having summer classes in person. Man, that's crazy. How do you do, because some of your courses require labs, right? Like, how do you do a lab online? Ugh. Poorly, so yeah. we had uh, we had like three, four weeks of lab left when this mm-hmm. all happened. So two labs are like kind of becoming worksheets where I'm like, well, here's some data, mm-hmm. and you know, figure out some conclusions and stuff based on the data. And yeah. then I think one lab we're gonna get rid of, but for like a whole semester, I don't like you wouldn't learn how to do anything. Yeah, that seems bad for your students. Yeah, like this is the end of Organic 2. And so here they're like kind of seeing some neat stuff, but like the actual physical techniques that they're doing are They've already learned. They've already already learned, right? Yeah. But, you know, in Organic 1, they don't know what any of the glassware even is called, let alone (laughs) what it does. And like I can teach them the names of things and like... But like it's, uh, I had I went to grad school with someone who said once you do it in a lab you never forget it, mm-hmm. like talking about like a reaction. But it's the same yeah. with like actually like doing whatever the procedure is. I can tell you how to do an extraction, but right. until you've done it, yeah, right. You you don't you don't actually know it. It's like I can tell you like how to you know untap upkeep draw, but mm-hmm. until you've done it enough times. And kind you're of gonna forget what it. order you do it in. Exactly, you're gonna forget steps. Yeah. Yep. So, 
Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, sounds not good. You, unlike yeah. me, you're essential. I am essential. I guess the NADA, the National Association of Automotive Dealers, or whatever it is, has petitioned the federal government to make my job life essential. So your your automotive technician is now life essential. Somehow they convinced people that getting your oil changed is going to prevent this virus. Or something. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. We've been we've been kind of lucky. We've been pretty like business as usual up to this point. I, I mean, lucky and unlucky, depending on which way you want to look at it. As far as my paycheck goes, I've been pretty lucky because business has been as usual. Some of the things people are leaving their house for, though, man, like it seems like everybody's, you know, doesn't have to go to work, has two weeks off, whatever, and they're bringing in like the most nitpicky jobs, like squeaks and rattles and, you know, stuff that they normally wouldn't have made time for. Now they have all this free time and, oh, let's go, let's go bug the dealership. So <sighs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah. The, the, the sad part is my, my dad just got laid off for two weeks, maybe yeah. longer. We will see. So that's that's no good, and that's happening to a lot of people. So. A lot of people, yeah. You said your, your mom had a scare too, right? Yeah, I had someone come in sick to her job yeah. and then was trying to like wipe things down and like spray some Lysol, and her boss yelled at her because it smelled bad. <laughs> and it's like... you. Everyone that comes into this bank is super old. Like, what, right? Like, no, you don't. If yeah. they die, they can't. They can't do business with you anymore. <laughs> yeah, you, you anymore. can't be killing off your customers. That's for sure. Yeah, so it's rough. Yeah, but we'll we'll try to uh, not revisit uh, Corona time anymore, or at least yeah. not too much. <laughs> this podcast, just so you have a, a break from it. Yeah. So. We have, I know we have, I'm sure sick of hearing about it. <laughs> I know, I know, and I don't like I don't participate in that much news, but yeah, uh, it's well, still, I never used to. You <laughs> never used to. Yeah, you're like, what's going on? I will point out though that somewhere, Mister Life Essential liquor stores have also been deemed life essential. Yeah, where... but see, like if you're working in a liquor store, like you're getting paid for working in your liquor store, right? True. Like if I show up to work and nobody decides to have their car worked on because they're in quarantine, I don't I don't get paid for that. That is super shady. Yeah, so I, I'm essential, but not essential enough to pay me for being there. Yeah. It's, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. We can't yeah. do without you, but we can't compensate you. Yeah, I'm a little nervous for what the next couple of weeks brings, but we'll see. Yeah, listener question time. Yeah, we had this one... Oh, I don't remember where this one came in at. Was this an email? I think this was a email. Maybe I don't know. I, I didn't see it, so it wasn't on Facebook. I don't think so. Yeah, I think this was an email. Uh, Jason had a really good question that I figured we talk about it on the show instead of me just shooting an email back to him. He said that when he's looking at deck lists online, he noticed that a lot of a lot of the deck lists have like one or two ofs in the sideboard, and he mentioned that. For him in particular, when he builds a sideboard, it's almost always three or four ofs. And he wanted to know why so many sideboards had, you know, random one or two ofs instead of, you know, play sets of everything. Yeah. And he, he did mention that he knows like what a wishboard is. And these weren't wishboard decks. They were just normal decks that he's seeing, you know, random one ofs and two ofs in the sideboard. Yeah, I'm I'm with Jason in that a lot of times when I sideboard, I'm like, I want to, like, I have specific matchups I want, want, and I'm like, I want 
as many of this card in this matchup as I can get. So we're going to put mm-hmm. four. Uh, so I usually am someone who shies away from the one of sideboards. I know why it's done, but I'm yeah. usually on the like, I want three of these because I want to draw it. Yeah, I don't. I almost never have four of a card in the sideboard. Um, if I'm building a deck and I'm putting four of a card in a sideboard, that means that card's really important to my game plan, even if it's only against like one or two decks. And at that point, I would think about moving some number of them to the main deck. A good example of this is back in Guilds of Ravnica Standard when like the Golgari Explore decks were really popular. Um, a lot of those played for duress in the sideboard. And what ended up happening was you wanted them like always in the mirror and always against like the uh, Arclight decks. And if you're bringing four cards in, in two out of six matchups or whatever, like there's a real um, reason to bring at least one or two of them main deck. That way you can be, you know, kind of pre-sideboarded for a third of your matches. Um, yeah. And that's what ended up happening is, you know, all these decks started off running four copies in the sideboard and then like one or two of them kind of made their way to the main deck or something similar. Like it yeah. wouldn't have to be, you know, a discard spell made its way to main deck. So, yeah. So sideboarding is something that takes a lot of practice. Yes. It's also something that's really hard for like newer, less experienced players or like people are just kind of venturing out into other formats it's it's a really big hurdle for people to get over and i think like realistically it's one of the stepping stones to becoming like a real competitive player is to learn how to sideboard and it takes a lot of time even Mm -hmm. when you're like experienced with it to like make your sideboard plan then use your sideboard plan enough that you see those cards in the matchups that you expect you wanted to see them in Mm -hmm. and then you see them and then you saw them in the situation where you thought they'd be good. And then you got to cast the card and then evaluate if that card was in fact good or not. Mm -hmm. And so that takes a lot of reps to get like, not only the, to not only come up with your original numbers for your sideboard and the cards, but then to test and see like, was this the right, was this the right card for this situation in this matchup? Mm -hmm. No, hundred percent agree. One of the things that I found that helped me a lot kind of cross this hurdle or jump over it or go to the next step or whatever was just playing other formats. Back when I, you know, got back into the game like five, six years ago, whatever, like I was only playing standard and I was having a really hard time figuring out how to sideboard. A lot of times, like I'd have my sideboard there and I wouldn't even use it because I didn't know, like I knew what cards had to come in, but I really didn't understand like the premise of taking cards out of your deck. I guess my thought process was if they were good enough for me to, you know, put in the main deck, like I don't want to take any of them out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So one thing that helped me kind of cross that bridge was playing other formats. The further back you go, the bigger card pool you get, the more power you kind of have to draw from and the more important, like every single slot in your 75 becomes. At that time, we didn't have Pioneer, so the next like bigger format that I got into was Modern. And if you don't sideboard in Modern, you don't win. Like you have to sideboard in Modern. Yes, and then so, you have to draw your sideboard cards. Like just being forced. Yeah, you have to draw your sideboard also. But just like kind of being forced to sideboard like made me better at sideboarding. Yeah. So on the on the question of like what comes out, a lot of times you're looking at 
is this card one the cards that are objectively bad right. in the matchup just need to go away so mm-hmm. when if you're playing uh jund against dredge the spot mm-hmm. removal spells are typically bad yeah i don't want to you know fatal push any dredger or and, yeah prized and, amalgam or blood gas or whatever right. yeah i've wasted right. a card Right, so things like that, where you're like, okay, this card is just objectively bad in this matchup. Mm-hmm. And then you want to take the cards that are kind of like your more general cards that might mm-hmm. not be, that are like a five in every matchup and maybe an eight in some matchups, and then mm-hmm. sometimes a two in other matchups. Those cards, when there are two, are cards that you want to take out. Or when mm-hmm. there are five in this matchup, but then you have an eight in your sideboard. Right. Like those are the times where you're, you're trying to like take out the cards that are like actively bad and then mm-hmm. like optimize to get more sevens and eights in your deck mm-hmm. as opposed like, to fives. I'm going to uh, reference John a lot, like throughout the rest of this episode. So please bear with me, but that's kind of the deck that I learned to sideboard with. And also a deck that relies really heavily on sideboarding. And it is a deck that runs a lot of like one and two ofs in the sideboard too. So it's kind of a good, like a good comparison. I can talk about the sideboard and tell you why things are a one and a two of. But going back to like to the Jund reference, a card that is normally a five occasionally is an eight or a nine. And also occasionally is a two is scavenging ooze. Like scavenging ooze in most matchups is good. Like it's a good card. Yeah. Against things like dredge or snapcaster decks or things that, you know, do anything out of the graveyard, scavenging ooze is an eight or a nine. It's great. It eats the things, it gains you life, it gets bigger. Um, but against a deck like humans, the card's a two. It's a just a two it's a bear. It's a two mana two two that maybe gets to eat something. But if you can bring in like a Fulminator Mage to blow up one of their lands because their you know humans mana base is terrible, if you can bring in a Fulminator to blow up a land, like that's almost a strict upgrade on your two mana two two. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, you're you're just trying to look at those cards that are eh and make them better. Mm-hmm. Right. Another thing we talked about for sideboarding back when we were getting ready for that Legacy event mm-hmm. was like changing your game plan. Does your sideboard, you know, are you a controlling deck game one and then you need to be more aggressive game two and three? So you take Mm -hmm. out some of your controlling cards and you bring in cards that are going to make you more aggressive. So like looking at how you can change your game plan. But again, you are limited to 15 cards. Right. And like the limit of 15 cards kind of leads in like to the next point that I wanted to make and something that you alluded to was Jason said that when he builds a sideboard, it's almost always three or four ofs. And you said that when you build a sideboard, you like to use a lot of three or four ofs. And that's kind of the issue is that if you have like, we're going to talk about like, I know I'm talking about Jund and Modern, but we're going to change your gears to standard here for a second. If you have like a normal standard meta of like six decks, so it's like mono red, blue white, fires, adventures, teamer rex, sultai. There's like six decks. That's like a pretty standard, you know, standard metagame. And you have, you know, three or four cards like as different options in your deck. 
you don't have enough slots in your sideboard for that. So if you have a card that you want to bring in against fires and a card that you want to bring in against, you know, mono red and a card that you want to bring in against blue white, like that's almost your entire sideboard. If you're running four ofs of everything. Yeah. You, you don't have enough room to do it all. If that's the way you're building your sideboard. I think so one of the reasons, uh, go ahead. Good. I think also that the type of deck you're playing really impacts it. Like if you're playing a cantrip heavy deck or a deck that gets to see a lot of cards mm-hmm. playing one ofs and two ofs, you're going to have a greater chance of seeing them. That's true. That's a really good point actually. So like when you, if we go back, if you look at like legacy Delver decks, their sideboards yeah. are almost all one ofs because they're going to see so many cards because their decks all cantrips and shuffle. Yeah. Ups. I mean, they run 12 cantrips. They yeah. can see their entire deck every game. Yeah. Where if you're playing green, black depths, you're drawing one card a turn, and so you sometimes will have a you want to have a higher density of those sideboard cards. To yeah, make just sure so you make sure that you them. find them. Yeah, but this also goes back to having one ofs if they overlap in what they do. Mm-hmm. It it's important. So in modern or I guess even now um, pioneer, there's mm-hmm. rest in peace in Grafdigger's cage. Right. You're going to bring in Rest in Peace against all the graveyard decks. So anything like Arclight Phoenix, right? Mm-hmm. But Cage is still good against Arclight Phoenix. Right. So you have one Rest in Peace, one Cage. But now that Cage is good against Collected Company decks, where Rest in Peace or isn't doing Court of Calling decks, yep. Yeah, so you can, you can sometimes, you might have one ofs, but it might be because they overlap mm-hmm. and... You know, rest in peace against Dredge is like a KO. Mm-hmm. And uh, Grafdigger's Cage, you can work around it. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I mean, like w- with Cage, you can kind of play your normal game plan. And then like once you get to a point where you can take care of the Cage, then you just explode yeah. because your graveyard is still there. Mm-hmm. Whereas with rest in peace, you don't have a graveyard to fall back on. Yeah. So maybe Cage is like, you know, if, if rest in peace is the 100%, if mm-hmm. Cage is 70 against Dredge, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, exactly what you want against uh, Collected Company. is 100% against Collected Company. Yeah. Right? Rest in Peace is zero against Collected Company. Yeah, it just doesn't anything. do anything. So you have two different cards, but they double up to be your graveyard hate. Mm-hmm. And then one yeah. of them also gets to be your Court of Calling Collected Company hate yep the same thing applies for different reasons with other cards though like the next thing that i had in our show notes here was talking about like the current uh modern jund sideboard and like i mean even in the past jund has always ran some amount of land destruction in the sideboard right now it's really important that you have like an answer to a valakut you have an answer to you know whatever land you need like field of the dead or a tron land or whatever um, so most current Jun lists are running like four copies of a land destruction spell. And the best land destruction spell is pillage um, because it kind of serves double duty. It serves as your artifact hate and it serves as your land hate. Um, it can blow up one or the other. The problem though, is that the double red mana is tough because Jun's mana base is so stretched. Like you want black mana on turn one for a discard spell. And then you also want access to red-green on turn two for Ren and six. 
and then you want access to black black on turn three for lily but you're also asking for maybe red red on turn three for pillage like that puts a lot of demands on your mana base and all it takes is you know one wrong fetch to mess up the whole first you know three four turns of your deck um so what some people are doing in jund is instead of running four of pillage they're running a split between like two stone rain and two pillage the pillage is still important because some of the decks that you want the land destruction against you also want some artifact removal for like if you blow up the amulet out of the titan decks you can blow up like an o stone or like a map or whatever uh clean up a worm coil engine out of tron like those things are nice to have your land destruction be used as either so you don't want to just cut the pillages completely so what a lot of people are doing is running a split they're running like two stone rains because it's so much easier on the mana but then they're also running a couple pillages because if your mana does work out pillage is just a better spell so like that's another reason why you might want to split cards around not just for you know double duty but also because the mana is not quite right and before the cyborg card of choice in that slot was Fulminator Mage. Oh, but, yeah. And the man is even better for Fulminator Mage because it's hybrid red black. Yeah, but now that card's black and Veil of Summer is still around. So now yeah. you can't afford to get your your Stone Rain Veil of Summer. Veil of Summer. Yeah. So that's why now people aren't playing Fulminator Mage because mm-hmm. it. Uh, gets Veil of Summer too easily. Or yeah, that's a, that's a feel bad. <laughs> so like, I mean, honestly, that probably costs you a game if you get your oh. Fulminator veiled. Oh, I'm sure it does. But like that's another reason that sideboard slots will change and maybe one of those, because maybe, maybe, maybe there's a spot where like someone's like, you know, I really want the 2-2 body from Fulminator Mage. Mm-hmm. So I'll have a Fulminator Mage because I want to bring in one more 2-2. Mm-hmm. against i don't know mono red and blue white control i just want a mm-hmm. body yep. but i also want a body that can blow up a land so this is my answer but i can't mm-hmm. have four of them because of veil of summer so i'm going to do right. some split where i get my body in some matchups and i get my land destruction in other matchups so it's finding yeah. those those cards that are flexible oftentimes mm-hmm. allows them to be like a one of because they're going to fill in multiple roles and multiple matchups. Yeah, especially an example you just used where it's blue-white, like the artifact destruction on your pillage doesn't matter at all against them. And you would almost always rather just have a 2-2. Like I know traditionally I always brought in fulminators against blue-white. Yeah, because you just wanted extra threats. You wanted to, at the yeah. end of the game, draw a 2-2. Mm-hmm. be like you have to answer this stupid tutu now yeah and then it just had incidental value where it got to eat a colonnade mm-hmm. yep but you would never bring in pillage so it's like the meta no. game combined with like what what extra roles that card can play yeah i mean honestly i'd never bring in stone rain that magic either though but uh, like i said i always brought in fulminate and uh, like i kind of alluded to in the last section Sometimes just room in the sideboard is the issue. Again, I'm going to go back to building a Jun sideboard. If I put, you know, four stone rains and two ancient grudges in my sideboard, that's six slots. And if some of that overlaps, like I said, I kind of want artifact destruction against the Titan decks and against Tron anyway, but I'm probably like, I wouldn't bring in 
ancient grudges against the amulet decks just because it doesn't do enough. Like they can still tighten me and then I'm stuck holding an ancient grudge that didn't really do a whole lot for me. But if that was stapled to another card, it gets much better. And it also condenses the number of slots I have to devote to a thing. Instead of having, like I said, four stone reigns and then, you know, two ancient grudges or whatever, I can have two pillages and two stone reigns, still cover everything that I want it to cover, but only use four slots instead of six. Like sometimes you need to double up the cards, like kind of like you were talking about yeah. where you know, the two, two bodies relevant. If you have, if you look at like the way they've printed a lot of modern cards recently, they've printed a lot of modal spells. Yeah. Like a Knight of Autumn's a great, great example. Knight of Autumn. I think the first big one recently was a braid. Do you like, Oh yeah. Three to a creature or mm-hmm. destroy an artifact. Right. Yeah. So if you have in your sideboard three slots for destroyed artifact, mm-hmm. you could have a braid, a pillage, mm-hmm. and ancient grudge. So mm-hmm. you could have three damage, blow up an artifact, blow up a land, blow up an artifact, and really blow up an artifact. Right. As your three, as opposed to just three cards that say blow up an artifact, instead of three mm-hmm. shatters, you have right. three. You have two. You have three shatters plus, right? Because they all serve else. double duty, right? And also, like making putting a four of in your sideboard, that means you have four cards that you want to take out of your deck for it. Correct. And maybe you only have three cards you want to take out. You're like, mm-hmm. I want shifting ceratops against blue white control, but there are only three cards I want to take out against blue white control. Right. So I only have three Ceratopses to bring in. Mm-hmm. So I doesn't do you any good to have a fourth. Right. And sometimes the exact opposite of that's true as well. Like if you, I'm, again, I'm going to fall back to Jund. You know, if I'm running two Terminates, four Fatal Push, and three Lightning Bolts, like none of that really does anything against blue-white. Like I definitely don't want the Terminates. I probably don't want the fatal pushes. I may or may not want the bolts, but I probably don't want the bolts. So that's like nine cards I want to take out against blue-white. Chances are I don't have nine things that are good against blue-white in my sideboard. So I start having to look at things that are just okay against blue-white. And that's kind of when diversifying can help also. Um, Like we said about the fulminators, you know, maybe I don't want the land destruction against them, but a three man or gray ogre, a three mana two two is better against them than a terminate is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or the so same if you can diversify. Thing, or the same thing, like if you're playing against mono red, like mm-hmm. having a braid deal three damage to a creature, or playing against right. humans dealing three damage to a creature, or maybe tagging a a vial. Mm-hmm. You're like, this is way better than just having shatter, or way better right. than just having incinerate in my sideboard because it does so much more. Mm-hmm. So diversification is a is another good reason to run you know less than four copies of something. I mean sometimes you just don't want four copies in general, right? Like a lot of times your mid range decks, um, especially against like the mirror and against control, want access to like insert six mana planeswalker here, whether it's Garrick or Lily or you know whatever six mana planeswalker has existed. You want to bring that in because it's you know, a hard threat for them to deal with. It gains value turn after turn. A lot of times they just run away with the game. It's a really good, it's a powerful tool to bring in against, you know, either the mirror or 
a control deck, but you don't want four of them. Like you don't want to look at your opening hand and see two of them in your opening hand because you put four in your deck. I mean, you just mulligan basically. So you want to draw it closer to when you're going to cast the spell, like on turn six. So maybe you only want two copies or like three copies, absolute tops. You really don't need all four of them. Yeah, the more expensive a spell is, the less of it you need because you're going to have more time to draw to that spell. Mm-hmm. So if you if you're sideboarding in hand disruption, if you're sideboarding in duress, you know you probably want to be able to turn one a duress. Yeah. So you might want more of that effect because it costs one mana, and even if you mm-hmm. draw two you can go like duress you two drop two drop duress you again right right and so you can sneak in a one mana spell somewhere else on your curve but mm-hmm. if you're playing you know a five or a six mana spell you're not going to you're probably not going to sneak that in yeah right and you know you have more time to draw that six mana spell so you don't have to see it in your first 10 cards you need mm-hmm. to see it in your first 13 or 14 or 15 cards. You get to see a quarter of your deck before, before you really you want to cast it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of times by that point in the game, like you found a way to start digging a little bit too. Like in these kind of decks, in these decks that want access to that mid-range hammer, they typically have some sort of engine to start like rolling advantage through. And one way to do that is by, you know, just getting raw cards off the top of your deck. So even if you're only running, you know, two copies in your post board 60, um, once your engine starts rolling and you get access to more cards off the top of your deck, like it's not super critical that it's in, you know, even the top 15 cards, maybe if it's in the top, you know, 20 cards or 25 cards, like maybe that's plenty. You know what I mean? When you play those mid-range decks, right, you have a lot of time to find cards. If you're mm-hmm. playing, like, aggressive decks, like, say you're playing Boros Burn in uh, Modern, you might okay. be more apt to have four ofs in your sideboard because mm-hmm. you're hoping to play four or five turns. Right, yeah, you, know, like, you only want to see the top 11 cards of your deck and have your opponent dead. Yeah, so you're like, okay, I really, against... Like, I used to play four, three or four Stony Silences against Affinity because mm-hmm. it wasn't a great matchup, or I was just bad playing against it, one of the two. But I always wanted to see one Stony Silence. Mm-hmm. And the chance of seeing one goes way up if you play three or four. Mm-hmm. But since you're seeing so few cards in your deck, the chances of you seeing a second one were significantly lower. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're playing like Abzan, you know. Right. less cool jund you're gonna play a 15 turn game and drawing your second stony silence when you needed it to be anything that actually had text yeah really hurts you so if you're yep. playing if you're playing a deck that's trying to condense the number of turns in the game right you might play more like more cards that do a similar thing or more mm-hmm. cards more of the same card but they also game. need to be cheaper though too because yeah. if you're only like you're not going to bring in four uh, Karns in that matchup you know what i mean no you're going to bring in things Karn like- does like Karn does the same thing as stony but it costs two mana more yeah you're going to bring in stony silence you're going to bring in rest in peace you're going to bring in a bunch of things that cost like two mana right that are going to 
like swing the matchup that you want one of them to be to swing. So, you know, let's say if Neo Brand is actually like a deck, mm-hmm. right? You're like, okay, I need to bring in. I'm on the play. I need to bring in Rest in Peace, or I need to bring in Four Grafdiggers Cage, so they can't do the thing. Do the thing. And so, just being mindful of what kind of deck you're playing is going to impact your numbers as well. Decks right. that are playing a more compact game may want to play more cards of a given effect. Mm-hmm. Kind of the opposite end of I'm going to play a million turns with the Jund. We'll get there eventually. Right. Is I'm going to play six turns or five right. turns. And that's like back during uh, Hogak Summer. Um, that was the reason that people were playing Ley Lines instead of Rest in Pieces, also because it was so important to have that like on turn one. Yeah, because you, you were dead on turn three. Like you didn't have time to play your rest in peace. As insane as that sounds, you were just dead by the time you stuck your rest in peace. Oh, cool. I'm on the draw. I had this turn two answer. Oh, they have 12 power on the board. Yeah, it didn't matter. It's like, oh, cool. Like rest in peace. And they're like, hit you for 12. Hit you for yep. 12 again. All right, cool. Next Good one. game. Yep. So yeah, just think about the kind of deck you're playing. If you're gonna be able to see a bunch of cards or not, and going mm-hmm. back to like, how do you see the matchup going post board? Right, right. That's the other thing is you don't sideboard for the deck you played against. You sideboard for the deck they're sideboarding into. Correct. So you have to be mindful of like what, what am I going to be playing against? Now, like level one, it's just you know when you're starting to start this. Just mm-hmm. sideboard for the deck, you know, that you're going to play against. It's really easy to sideboard against, like, the linear decks. Like, hey, I'm playing against Dredge. They're going to bring in ways to blow up my graveyard hate, and I'm going to bring in graveyard hate. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see who draws it. Yeah, I would uh, I'd be careful of calling that. Um, I forget what you even called it, but I, I would say... Uh, more sideboarding for an archetype instead of for the game one deck. Like I think you, I think what you had said oh, yeah. was sideboard for the game one deck. Don't just sideboard for the game one deck. Sideboard for the archetype. But yeah. then, yes, I agree with where you're going after this. Um, but you're like but, once once you figure that out, you can graduate towards you know sideboarding for the deck they're gonna be. Yeah, but yeah, learn yeah learn how to sideboard for the archetype that you're playing against. Yeah, and then learn then learn how to sideboard for the deck that they're going to become yeah i think that's better a better way of saying it yeah all right so the next thing was something that i've just been thinking about and i couldn't remember if we had talked about yeah we might have mentioned it like briefly during our like the first learn to play thing that we did but i don't think we went super in depth so yeah and that was like the timing on instance yeah so when you start playing magic right you just cast spells whenever you have mana. Mm-hmm. And you don't really read if it's an instant or a sorcery. You're just like, I can do this now. Right, and so then, I'm going to do it. Yeah, and then you graduate to someone has told you, you should wait to cast instance. Right, so mm-hmm. then you always just start casting instance at the last possible moment. Mm-hmm. Right, but there's a lot of times you can cast instance. And there's a lot of reasons to cast instance at certain times. Right. I just wanted to take a look at like why you ca- why instance get cast at certain times. If you were to make a broad stroke and say, what is the 
reasoning behind me casting an instant at any point, whether it's now, whether it's, you know, the start of my opponent's turn, the end of my opponent's turn. Like, what are you trying to accomplish with the timing of your instance? You're trying to do, I think, two things, which is mm -hmm. maximize the information that you have right. and minimize the information that your opponent has. 100%. Kind of the sub game of magic that a lot of people maybe don't pick up on or don't think about is that what you want to do is make the best informed decisions possible. That increases the chances of you making the correct decision while simultaneously forcing your opponent to make the worst decisions possible with the least amount of information that increases the chance for them to make a mistake that yeah. you can capitalize on. So, right, you went from casting instants whenever you had enough mana on your turn to do it. Then you went to, I'm going to cast my instant at the last possible minute. But there mm -hmm. are reasons to cast your instant. Like kind of the big places is on your main phase. Like mm -hmm. sometimes it's correct to do that. On your opponent's upkeep. Mm -hmm. There's like one example or two on your opponent's draw step. Yep. And your opponents on your opponents like turn we'll make that like main phase combat and main phase mm -hmm. and then on your opponent's end step right. right so there's reasons to do all of these mm -hmm. and so the first one on your opponents um on your main phase right if you're playing against a a, a control deck and they mm -hmm. have tapped low for whatever reason and you sometimes have, you just need to stick your spell yeah, you just need your spell to resolve. Or mm -hmm. if you're playing as a control deck, and let's say you're playing a growth spiral, and you really need your growth, you really need to hit your, put that to ramp yourself to put that third land into play. Yeah. And they played tap land. Just fire off your growth spiral. Yeah, like, you're not going to gain anything by waiting. You're going to cast it anyway. Right. And like what? Like what are you representing by having that two mana up? Right. But, you know, not a whole lot, but if then they get to, if you grow spiral and they're like mystical dispute it, mm -hmm. well, now you're behind a turn and all this stuff. So, mm -hmm. or if you I'll go, I'll, I'll go like half a step further from that and say that on your end step, sometimes is a good time to try and stick something also, uh, especially against a control opponent where if they've tapped low or if you go to pass turn, they realize that you haven't done anything for their turn and they're trying to use their mana. Sometimes they'll cast, you know, their card draw spell just so they didn't waste their mana. They'll cast their uh, chemistry's insight or glimmer of genius or whatever it is. If I really need an instant to resolve, sometimes I'll jam it there too, you know, in response to your chemistry's insight grow spiral. Yeah. So if you're trying to like force it through or, uh, you know, either force it through so it doesn't get countered, or you're playing against um, a deck that uses protection spells. So I guess yeah. Infect is one. Or yep, the Feather Decks. The Feather Decks, right, where they have tapped out, and now this is your chance to cast your instant speed removal spell because mm -hmm. they can't, they can't do anything. Yep. Right. So that's one spot where casting it on your turn is when you're when you know this is a point where you know you can get it through i have to kill this creature or i die yep. this now is my spot yeah yep. so then 
There's also doing things on your opponent's upkeep mm-hmm. when things haven't changed. So right. looking at you're playing against control. I, th- I found myself thinking about this more most against control decks than I do against other kind of decks, but it also tracks as well. Where you're like, okay, they they had four mana open. Mm-hmm. You pass the turn, they don't do anything. Right. And now it's their upkeep. And you can now cast your instant to kill a creature or do whatever you're going to do on their upkeep. And now if they have a counter spell or some way to stop that spell from resolving or protect their creature or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. They have to use their mana for their turn. Right. They wasted that. the four mana on your turn and you didn't waste your mana on your turn. Yeah. Um, so- this is also important, like if you're trying to bait out a counter spell, like if you have something in hand that really needs to resolve and you have a card that would be nice but isn't essential if it resolves, um, this is a good opportunity to bait the counter spell also. Yeah. Where you're going to make them use their mana on their turn so that they're not going to have the mana when you untap to you know force your thing through. So the reason you do it on their upkeep is... They haven't drawn their card for turn. Right. So they are lacking the information of, hey, would I much rather cast this card I'm going to draw or fight Mm -hmm. over this thing? So you've cut them off of that information. Mm -hmm. Now, if they decide to counter their spell or use their mana in some way to respond to your instant, now if they draw a really good card, they they might not be able to cast it that turn because they used their mana in that situation it's also relevant like in modern against blue white where the deck has access to cryptic command um you really don't want to get blown out by a cryptic so sometimes even if like they've been representing a counter spell sometimes it's better to make them use their mana before they get another chance to find the cryptic you know what i mean yeah or you know you do it on their turn so they can counter draw and maybe not tap your team and counter right um, and then kind of the super edge case that's not been an edge case for the last year. Yeah. It's casting instance in your opponent's draw step. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the spells that are best to cast here, the ones that come up most in standard are you play Teferi and you uptick. So now you can cast sorceries as instance. Yeah. Now you can play a hand disruption spell Thought in their draw step. You can thought erasure someone in their draw step. So the reason mm-hmm. you want to it's do a... it here, as opposed to in their upkeep or on your turn, is they've mm-hmm. drawn an extra card. Mm-hmm. So now you now you have maximum information of what to take. Also, sometimes they didn't have any cards in their hand and they drew for turn. And during their draw step, they have one card in hand. Yeah, and you get to just take it. Yep. Now, they can, if it's an instant, they can cast it. But if it's not, you definitely get to get that card or at least know what it is. Right. So waiting till their upkeep, if you have an instant speed discard spell, or sorry, waiting till their draw step, if you have an instant speed discard spell, is again going to give you maximum information. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other place you see this a lot is like modern into a lesser extent legacy with Vendillion mm-hmm. Click. Right. Or call against command. Call against command. They draw their yeah. card, then you flash and Vendillion click, and if you choose them, you get to look at their hand and put have them put a card on the bottom. 
and right. draw a new card. So now you get to see all the cards that they could possibly have and figure mm-hmm. out which one is best to get rid of in that one specific spot. If you did it in their upkeep or on your turn, you have less information. You're seeing right. one less card. Yep. Right. And then you already brought up the other, like on their turn or on their end of turn, other than, you know, it's an instant you can cast it on their turn, is to tap them low. So if you do need something to resolve, or you can kind of force it through. You can force it through. Or they've tapped low, and now you know your spell is going to resolve on their turn. Mm-hmm. And then you get to untap and use your mana. Yeah. Right. So uh, giving yourself the chance to to kind of either bait out a counter spell, like you said, or bait out the, the mana in some other way mm-hmm. to then make sure that what you're going to do next is going to resolve. So that's just ways to uh, cast instance. Yeah, so, and like you said, it applies for things that aren't just control decks also, like against Infect. You don't want to try and kill their creature either before or during combat on their turn, or you could just die. Normally, when you want to fight over a creature, it's in their second main phase, on their end step, on your turn, when like they can't use their pump-slash-protection spell to also pump their creature and kill you. Yeah, you want you- them to kind of waste it. You'd rather than take one and then in their second main phase make them use their blossoming defense to save their guy. Yeah. Then to try to kill it during combat and then have their blossoming defense save their guy and deal you two more damage. Right. It's contextual, but like these are some of the kind of the big points as to why you do this. Mm-hmm. Is like maximizing use of your mana, crimping the use of their mana. And things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, one more thing that I think we might be able to kind of tag on the end of this timing discussion, even though it's not strictly related to like casting instants or things with flash or whatever, is like making it's kind of a corner case, but making your opponent use their mana or like float mana and then changing the phase. Yeah. Like it's another thing that's kind of in the same vein. Like if you have, I don't even know what a good example is. It's, let's say like Field of the Dead. If you Field of the Dead someone, they get a mm-hmm. land. You'd much right. rather Field of the Dead, and that land's untapped. You'd much rather Field of the Dead them someplace where they can't use that mana effectively. Right. So that's one thing. Or like let's say they have like an elf, mm-hmm. right? And you're, it's your turn and you're like, you know, or a noble. Sh- yeah. Noble shock- hierarchy is probably a better example. Yeah. Or, you know, shock or lightning bolt, your noble. And they're like, okay, I'm going to float a green mana. And you're like, cool. Go to combat. Now right. they have to use that mana or lose it. So you can force their hand on mm-hmm. using their mana or, yep. you know, I guess another instant on your turn thing is if say they have a mana, a mana creature. Right, you're mm-hmm. like, well, I just want to kill that mana creature now. Oh, yeah. So that way, so they can't use that mana on their turn. Yeah. So they're like, yeah. they go like turn two, incubation druid, and you're like, all mm-hmm. right, well, I can, I can shock it on my turn. That way, they can't use the mana. Yeah. Right. They can't use the mana to do anything, and right. so I keep them behind. Whereas you wait till their turn, like even on their upkeep, you could they could be like opt or. You know, anything that uses that mana yeah, yeah shock whatever they could use that mana somehow 
here you're cutting them off of that one mana and making sure that they don't get to use it. So you mm-hmm. can kind of dictate when they get to use their mana by when you use your instance and use and use your mana. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a, another resource that you get to play with. Yeah. I don't know why this like came into my head as a thing I wanted to talk about, but I was like, we I don't know if we've talked about this. Yeah, I think we've we've touched on parts of it before, but I don't think we really put it all in one place before. So yeah. it's a good topic. There we go. We have leveled the battlefield. We Bam! Really, gotta get that branding in there. Yeah, we haven't done that in a while. Yeah. If there's anything else that uh, you guys want to hear more about, um, like strategy wise or questions that you have, like that's kind of what we started the show for, and. I know lately we've kind of come off of some of that, but like, that's really what we enjoy talking about. It's like the strategy stuff behind it all. So if there's any questions you guys have, want us to talk about on the show or want us just to shoot you a message about, please get a hold of us. That's like I said, that's kind of why we started doing this. There was a, a lot of people at our local game store asking us a whole bunch of questions about specifically this kind of stuff. And instead of, you know, explaining it a hundred times to, a million different people we figured we just put all our thoughts in one place yeah and i mean we are both teachers on yeah. some level so on some level sure <laughs> you're a little more trained than i am but sure i'll take it where i can get it yeah they, they don't train us they're like you got your phd cool you can teach now i'm like i've never taken a class on how to teach they're like you'll figure it out it's like oh cool cool sounds good uh but yep, yeah like luck. this yeah this is something that you know we we wanted to do and we enjoy so there's things mm-hmm. you want us to kind of like teach you about. We can we can do that for sure. Absolutely, I love talking about this kind of stuff. Anyway, the nuts and bolts of the game. Yeah. So we have one last thing, and mm-hmm. it's um, arena. Mm-hmm. And arena is really having to carry the load for both all of casual magic and competitive magic right now. Yeah. It's not quite ready for prime time to do that. But <laughs> it's what we're asking it to do with social. We've distancing, had some news. Yeah, we've yeah, had we've news. had some news over the last week or so. Yeah, and like you said, with social distancing, um, Channel Fireball announced that they are holding online magic fests. Yeah, um, I didn't go through and read like the whole article because I had other things to do. I, I really haven't had a chance to peruse the article, but you did, right? I. Oh, very little. From what I okay. gathered, it seems like they're going to be doing this through Discord. Okay. Where That's interesting. Where they're going to be doing like basically your pairings through Discord, and then you have to like do direct challenges. Because okay. Dennis, I forget what his name is. Dennis something. He does the Scry Me a River podcast with Riley Knight. He okay. like put out a video about how to set up Discord and do direct challenges. So hmm. they're running like basically online magic fest with like cash payouts and PT invites for them. Wow. Yeah, like big money. Um, these are arena? Like they're only arena and they're not only on arena. So they've done that. There's been a lot of um other uh groups starting like trying to do tournaments on arena. Yeah. Did you get a chance to look at that link that I sent you? No, I did not. I don't remember what the name of the site was. I'll look it up and I'll blast it out on Facebook after the show. But there's a website that I guess has been like trying to gain some traction over however long they've been around. Um, 
but recently with you know what's going on in the world they've kind of ramped their game up but they're basically the same same general idea but it's a site where you can run a tournament through arena you know you put everybody's name in you get all their you know the really long names so that you can direct challenge people and it is tournament software that anybody can use where i believe you can like as long as the tournament it's like matchmaking almost where as long as there's a tournament with openings you can like if it's you know public and not like a private tournament you can like jump into a tournament and it'll pair you you direct challenge you report results yada 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 same kind of thing but it's like on a little bit broader scale gotcha um i don't know if there's uh, I, i'm assuming there's not you know an entry fee or cash payouts for those but another way you can play some tournament magic without having to let people sneeze on you yeah we've all sat across from someone and had someone like sneeze and like, yeah. your mouth's been open or yeah. like you've or your opponent like takes a deep breath of like and it's just yeah. like in your face <laughs> and you're like oh i know what you ate for breakfast and lunch oh this is so bad i can see some of it <laughs> yeah it's like this is awful what have you done but yeah. They're trying. Uh, this is one of those where you just like, you know, coyly or slyly say like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if uh, <clears throat> Arena natively did this? <laughs> hey, man, we can't have everything. So the CFB is doing like basically you're doing daily qualifiers. If you, you go 5-1 and you advance, this is just reading like the, the big glittery part of the tweet. And they okay. have weekly a weekly championship. That has twenty five thousand okay. dollars in prizes. Wow! And eight PT invites. All and right. And then there is a season finals that is fifty thousand dollars in prizes, thirty two PT invites, and two PTF invites, which I don't know what a PT Pro Tour Finals. Uh, yeah, Players Tour Finals. Yeah. So they are trying to make something happen yeah so i guess so cfb events doesn't go out of business <laughs> yeah i mean whatever you can do right yeah i'm trying to look for the okay the entry fee is 25 dollars. yeah i thought i had seen that yeah so but yeah so they're they're trying desperately to kind of keep keep competitive magic going but it would yeah. be much nicer if they could just like, you know, do this on arena. Yeah. Just open a thing and like, you know, being like wizards official partner, just be yeah. like, Hey, this costs this many gems. Yeah. And then just, you know, wizards like pays them out their gems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or wizards be able to do something like this. Just be like, Hey, we're going to run a giant tournament and give you a PT invite. Mm hmm. And anyone can enter it, but you have to... I mean, they could, right? I mean, they do it with the uh, Mythic, Mythic Qualifiers. Yeah, the Qualifying Weekends. Yeah, like, couldn't they just open it up to, you know, however many people... Anybody that... Yeah, anyone that wanted to drop down 30,000 gems or whatever. Yeah, here's... You pay 3,000 gems or whatever it is, and then 30,000. Is that like $300? I have no idea. That's I haven't bought gems. gems in so long. Okay, but... Here, you pay $30, and then, you know, we play however many rounds or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Or to a certain record. You know, we're like, hey, you have to go 
14 and one Mm -hmm. and you get a PT invite or something or like stratify it like below this many players, it's this big or what they should be able to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised they haven't like they did do a lot of things. They opened up brawl for everybody. That's all I've been Um, playing. I've become a dirty casual. (laughs) I'm just like, you know, I don't want to have to like, sometimes you just got to turn your brain off. I don't want to like try to climb the ladder. I'm just going to play two lane. And if, uh, if my opponent, uh, casts a sweeper, I'm going to concede. (laughs) If my opponent, if my, if my opponent is playing Teferi, I'm just going to concede. (laughs) Nope. Nope. I know what your deck is. Like it's no, a, thank you. It is a dark place when people are like, I want to just cast counter spells and they're casting like, didn't say please. <laughs> like, you're just like, yeah. no, like, no, this is not okay. But you didn't say please. When, when your deck building is, <laughs> is what is, is you just go to a little thing and you type in counter and you select blue and then counter and you just put every card that says counter target spell on it in your deck. <laughs> You're like, well, I got yeah. my deck now. I'm all done. No, thank you. Sweet. But, uh, yeah, they did open up that, and they did bring back uh, Theros Beyond Death as the ranked mm-hmm. draft format sooner yeah, than it was good. supposed to. So mm-hmm. they were trying to, you know, give people something to do for a little bit while mm-hmm. they were, well, well, we've all been trapped. Yeah. Well, some of us, some of us are forced to go out in the, the insanity that is the real world. Fair, fair. I don't visit there. I, my outside time is I go, I go walk in my, I walk on my driveway for a few minutes. <laughs> just your driveway. Just my driveway, and then not even around the neighborhood. No, 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 no. Tomorrow though, I have to go out and get supplies. Okay. Tomorrow's my one is my is my one store trip. Yeah, you got gloves and a mask, and I'm not gonna go that far, but I'm gonna make sure I stay okay. away from people. Well, my wife and I went to uh, Costco last week, and we gloved up. We didn't wear masks, but we definitely gloved up. There you go. Maybe I should do that. Yep. Maybe I should take the fun videos I send to my students of me in goggles and a face mask and purple latex gloves and just yeah. walk out in the environment like that. Like, hey, hey, nerds, you're not getting yeah. paid today. You got, we're, I don't remember what you looked like. Were you wearing one of them Tyvek suits? I don't have one of those. I, oh, okay. I did not buy one of those at Home Depot before the end times. <laughs> so I, I don't think I have access to one now. Well, I, I didn't know if you had one for lab supplies or not. <laughs> no, no, we did buy, I bought, I wanted to, um, I want to sand, I got to sand something in my garage. It's mm-hmm. a lot of drywall. And I'm like, okay, I should have a mask because my wife's going to yell at me if I don't have a mask. Fine. Yeah. So I went like three weeks ago to buy a mask. You know, I was going to buy, like, a mask. Mm-hmm. They only had boxes of 40 or something. Holy and I was moly. like, fine. I'll, I, was like, I was like, this is dumb. And Hannah was like, can oh. you please buy it? Just Not in case so we, dumb now. Just in case we run out at work. And so yeah. today, she took the masks with her to the doctor's office she works at. So they would have yeah. masks. Crazy. I was like, oh. I don't feel so bad. I was like, I was like, we'll get this just in case. And so it is now gone. So in addition to trying to run Magic Fest online and bringing back different <laughs> things, Wizards also tried to do like uh, a digital FNM. Yeah, I don't know exactly how this worked. Um, 
our store is not participating in this for whatever reason. And I didn't read the whole like release thing that WPN sent out. Um, but I believe that stores are issued uh, like arena codes that are good for something in the game. Um, I thought I saw a mention of sleeves and packs, but I don't remember like what exactly the arena codes were for. But you could like sign up for an FNM through your local game store. And then, you know, depending on placement, yada, 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 they would issue you an arena code for something you could redeem in game, um, which is kind of a neat way for, you know, LGS is to stay engaged with their customers. Yeah, it was um, something like like each week it changed like the format that was being played or something. Yeah, I think so. So like you would go play a specific format on Arena, you'd get some result, and then yeah, you would get this uh, code from your LGS. Mm-hmm. So you know if you have an LGS, like you know if you it's something that you think you and your friends would be interested in, you should mm-hmm. reach out to them. We tried to absolutely gauge interest to kind of run our own tournament for our local game store. We had yeah, one this person was, that was like, uh, eh. there were two people, two people. Okay. Two people. Yeah. And that that was actually like hours before wizards released this thing. So it ended up not mattering, but yeah, yeah nobody was, nobody wanted to play but our, may, our yeah. arena F and M. Yeah. But you know, maybe if yours, if you have, you know, you know, eight people that are really Jones in the play, this could mm-hmm. be a way to do something with your LGS mm-hmm. and, you know, not have to hang out with people. Are you, do you follow Cape Fear on like your personal Facebook, Twitter, whatever? I do. I do see stuff from them pop up all the time. Did you see the last thing that they posted? No, I did not. Okay. I also thought this was kind of a neat idea. Some of the issues that LGSs have with running an arena FNM are that they feel like Wizards is pushing their paper customers to digital um, and that they aren't super keen on supporting that, which is understandable. I mean, you don't want to you know, actively push your players somewhere else. So Cape Fear, uh, you know, a local game store roundabouts an hour from us that we've you know gone to some events for, super nice store. Uh, they also run a huge online presence, so you should check them out as well. They put out a, I think it was a Facebook post a couple days ago, kind of taking this WPN, you know, arena, FNM, whatever, like to the next level. And they said, okay, we're not going to do the arena thing, but we will run a digital FNM. So what they were proposing was everybody signs into their Discord server with webcams and a play mat. And you could do pairings like on the Discord server through like video chat almost where you had your game board and you know your opponents is on your computer screen and you can play a game like that so you're you're getting to play paper magic and you're getting to use you know your your cards that you paid good money for but aren't necessarily being pushed to arena and like i think there's definitely some uh like some challenges there but it was a kind of a neat idea yeah i saw a uh a tweet or facebook post of like like talk about people like you know taping their phone face down to a box, mm-hmm. and then playing underneath the box so they could see the battlefield, mm-hmm. so they could stream that to someone else. Yeah. So that person could see their battlefield, and they could see each other's battlefield and play, 
paper magic. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of been a thing for a while. Um, A lot of, I guess it's popular with judges that like make a lot of friends through like the judging circuit, but aren't necessarily like geographically close to them. And commander is really popular with judges. I guess they wanted a way to, you know, play a game of commander with, you know, people when, you know, those people might live all over the country. Um, so they had actually started doing things like this over Discord where you could, you know, digitally have, you know, a four-way video call where everybody's battlefield was being represented and you could kind of see what was going on. I don't I don't know, like, the logistics of it or anything, but I know people have been doing it for a while. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've got we to come up with a new or make more my, mainstream old ways to play Magic and non-traditional ways yeah unfortunately we did not have a lot of data uh i will Mm -hmm. try to push it out a little bit harder but there might be a lot of people that are like me that are like you know what my life is stressful enough i don't need to be grinding the ladder i don't want to grind the ladder like that's where i'm at i'm like you know what i don't want to do like as soon as i get into a match and i'm like i'm not having fun i'm like i'm out i'm done i don't want to do this anymore oh i did have one data e ish kind of thing okay so yesterday i hit level 90 okay and the mastery congratulations pass. thank you thank you thank you that's, that's all i want to do i just want to brag on that so i waited until that point to redeem the mastery pass because mm-hmm. i wanted to see how much the mastery pass cost and how much you get back yeah so the mastery pass is 3400 gems Mm-hmm. And so I did that, and then I opened all of the all the packs I got. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's sixteen packs plus all the mythics and rares and stuff that you got as rewards. Mm-hmm. So for me, the mastery pass only cost me a thousand and twenty gems. Okay. So by the time you got all the gems you got back for just doing the mastery pass and then all of the card rewards Mm -hmm. for, you know, you have, this is your fifth copy of this. Yeah. So your mileage will vary a little bit. It depends on like how big your collection is. Right. Um, but it only cost me around a thousand. I think that realistically it might end up costing someone like 1500 if they don't have a complete set of everything. Because, mm-hmm. uh, and then I got four thousand gold as well. So okay. it probably comes out to close to a wash once you have like a lot of the cards from all the sets. Yeah. So I just wanted to put that out there because I know that like just like how much does it end up like costing? Mm-hmm. And so it's about a thousand gems. So that's not too too bad. Yeah, that's not bad. So if you're discounting all of the you know, booster packs and card rewards and all that. What do you, what else do you get for your thousand gems? Um, you get, a, you get a pet you get, and you, a bunch of mastery orbs, right? You get a pet, a bunch of mastery orbs, like, like 25 mastery orbs, I think. Okay. So you can finish off all of the fancy cards from that set, but it's not even like, it's just an upgrade for your pet. Like you don't oh, okay. get like a different pet. Like they almost got me. They brought out the the Jace puppet as a pet. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh man, I want the Jace puppet. I was like, no. Jace puppet's sweet. Like, don't spend money on the Jace puppet. <laughs> it'll it'll end up in the bargain bin one day, and then I'll pounce. 
Yeah. <laughs> He'll end at 50% off, and I'll be like, all right, Jace Puppet, it's your time to shine. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else there is other than the 4,000 gold. Yeah, I think there. I think it's the pet upgrade. You get like a set of sleeves, like a different set of sleeves. Yeah. And then your mastery orbs. Yeah, it's I not... I guess I don't know if you get anything else. Yeah. But if you think about it as, you know, if it's 1,500 gold, 1,500 gems for... It ended up being like 16 packs mm-hmm. and like probably 10 or 15 mythic... 10 or 15 rares and mythics. Yeah. And that's not too bad of a deal. Oh, you get wild cards too, right? Do you... You might... I might have got some wild cards. Yeah, I think you get wild cards from that too. So yeah, I mean, it comes out as a pretty good deal, I think. Yeah, but just wanted to like give you guys like a number. So yeah. if you have a lot of the cards, it's going to be around a thousand, mm-hmm. a little bit more. So that's a lot less painful than thirty four hundred. Yeah, good data point. So I think that is the show. Yeah, I think that'll do it for this week. If you have any show ideas. Please let us know. We're always uh, keeping a lookout for what you guys want to hear about. Remember, if anybody's interested in hearing more about this, you know, financial series that I think might be kind of interesting to keep track of over the next few weeks, few months, whatever, um, let us know. Because, like I said, if nobody's interested but me, there's not a whole lot of point in me putting a whole bunch of effort into it. Um, So let us know about that. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter at casual tripod. I will say that go. Twitter has been a little slow as of late for the magic stuff. Yeah. So that's why there hasn't been as much like me sending out decks and stuff. I did see some unusual stuff in the last few days, but it has been pretty yeah. slow. Yeah. And there's a lot of other things on people's minds right now. Um, you can find us on Facebook at casual tryhard MTG. If you want to drop us an email, that's show at casualtryhardmtg.com. Hit us up on Patreon at patreon.com slash casualtryhardmtg. Don't forget about our TCG affiliate link. If you're looking to pick anything up from there, it's tcg.casualtryhardmtg.com. Don't forget to support your local game store during these times. They cannot make it through this without you. I promise they cannot make it through without you. So make sure you're taking care of them. Take care of each other. Make sure you're keeping clean and healthy. Yeah. You got anything else? No, I think we're going to catch you on the interwebs. We will catch you on the interwebs. <laughs>